we've never been closer together, all these layers, right? They're never been so tightly woven. And so no matter where you hit this infrastructure, what layer you're at, you're closer to the next layer than you've ever been before. Mm. And one thing I underestimated is how approachable the people are within this industry. So when you said, email us, you know, you volunteered that for us. I don't know anybody on this panel that would disagree with you. Yeah. And that's what I really wanted to bring back to as in terms of an industry, I really do believe that the data center industry is different. I mean, I started out, you know, at 25 as a market analyst. So I, I jumped from industry to industry. I did home appliances for six months and then I did UPS backup power for six months and I did IOT for six months. And I, actively chose to stay in the data center industry and keep following, you know, trying to do more research on that industry because it's completely different. And the way I did research at the time was by calling and talking to people. And I just had to chase people and cold call mm-hmm. people to, like I called Mr. Kaufman in Germany every morning for like 20 days until he <laughs> finally like said he wasn't in a meeting. But what I just remembered sitting here is that you talked to me. I was just looking it up yeah. going, when it's you were so like funny. PayPal or Uber or- May 28th, 2012. What's so funny is I never, I never remembered. I'm like, you look so familiar. And so when we were talking on that, and then I look back up, I'm like, oh my God, we met through LinkedIn. She was a reporter of Tyrus Balding from the Elderman Group who set me up during the Uptime Symposium with the Santa Clara Convention Center to do, so this is when I was a son, or sorry, no, when it was at, uh, at, at eBay, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but then we connected again. It's it just, it's such like a small you, world. Yeah, like you were, you know, as you said, a rock star. And I was just like, flop, you know, jumping from market to market. But <laughs> I was like welcomed into this industry, which is was not the case with every other industry I was researching. So, I mean, it's just, you know, a very specific example of, uh, yeah, people really do help and reach out and educate you. Because to your hmm. point, like it's a big industry where you have to know about a lot of things. Like it's oh, yeah. mechanical, it's electrical, it's IT, it's software, it's people, it's trades, it's everything. And as so, soon as you figured it out, it just iterated again. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? It just changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, okay. But that's so, exciting. Yeah, yeah. But you, it forces you. Like learning. I see it as like a Peloton and you have to stay with it or you're going to fall right at the back of it. You know? <laughs> Am I wrong? Come I mean, on, like Peloton, you have go. to be pedaling because <laughs> this industry grows so much, it changes so much more dynamic than every other industry, don't you think? Yeah. And there's like an openness, like it's okay if you don't get it. Cause a lot of, like, I don't get a lot of it. I'm not an engineer. Nobody I'm not technical. Yeah. So it's like, everyone's helping each other figure it out. There's like a collaboration. And then one other thing I was going to say about, um, you know, where Bill said, where have you seen success bringing people into the industry? Carrie Getz has a lot of good data on- And a great book. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, on- jobs that don't need college. And so this industry has a lot of really well-paying jobs where Ty, Ty Sacconi from Stack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. TJ. TJ, TJ, yep. TJ yeah. Yep. He does a great job talking to high school kids and saying, you can make this much money, like, you know, yeah. graduating with your- We had carry on here. We I bought a hundred books and gave them out to all, we had an Operation Hit event where we had a bunch of veterans come. And we're trying to, I mean, that like- it takes everybody. Like, I'm not going to write a book, right? But that's a good book to hand over because she does a good job of saying like, yeah, you're right. At DCAC, we had a bunch of Navy nukes rolling around. I promise you that the, um, there's a ton of non-technical people oh, yeah. in this industry. And I have learned that they offer, like, I have amazing combat infantry people on my team that you would have never thought got in this industry. But their emotional range is so, like... I'm under pressure. Yeah. The they're like, look, no one's getting shot today. No one's blowing up. We're all going home. We're going to figure this out. Right. And like, oh, that's your baseline. Th- yeah. hundred percent. I mean, 
I, yeah, I got one third of my team that used to kill evil for a living. And they're like, we're, we're not killing anybody. We're not shooting at anybody today. No one's shooting back. And their ability to work through problems when everyone else is an emotional mess yeah. is a huge advantage. They don't have to be the smartest. They're just, this industry does not lack genius. It does not lack intelligence. It lacks leadership and the courage to stand up and ask questions. And in the military, they teach you to ask those things because you have no choice because like, if I jump here, like I think you said here, no, you're like, <laughs> I better know where I need. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? I can die. Yeah. Someone else can die. Oh, for sure. I'm going to ask that question. But I think that that's the unique thing that if a kid isn't getting that in an incubator in college, maybe they're learning it from sports or if they're in a fraternity, they're learning little communities, maybe how to start a business or something like that. But college is more than, there better be more than just what they're learning behind the grades because mm -hmm. the military has a bunch of people coming out that could be infantry or aviation boatswain's mates or it doesn't matter. And I've hired them all. And I've learned that there's a role for them. There's five different phases of a data center life cycle. I think there's nine different job domains that represent 265 different jobs within those five phases. Wow. There's a job for anybody Absolutely. in this space. And we just need to make this industry something that it's not even a light yet. And I've always envisioned that we'd create a collective that people would be drawn to it, but we have to create an orbit around the industry a little bit stronger. Don't you think? I think your, your uh, previous statement about um, helping people understand what the purpose is. Yeah. Well, this is why, why are we here doing what we're right. doing? Because we actually know that we build the underlying engines for the internet of everything, mm -hmm. period. Like the world operates on the stuff we build. Yeah. That's a pretty big, big deal, right? Think about that. So what are, what are we doing? And all of a sudden the world needs three times the amount. This is- Crap. Okay. How do we solve that problem? Great. Well, that's another one to go tackle. Sink your teeth into. It's a safe industry. It's not going anywhere. No, no. It's, it's a utility. Hey, it, it becomes a utility, is. right? Like next year at DCAC, trying to take the compression off of the schedule- we'll have two days of content that probably taps out around two or three in the afternoon because I figure that's when we start losing people anyway. I like yeah. That. And then just let people have conversations like yeah, that afternoon. That's great because then you can be at the booths. You can have like- That's what we're going to do is I think that it's really about, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to call them breakouts, but I think that I'm planning on running it a little bit more like there's some heavy hitters that could come on and just go by themselves. They don't need to be on a panel. They could yeah. just 15 minutes and just jam deep into something. And it's not- the purpose of putting them on a stage isn't so that people that are listening are going to get a PhD in that. What they should be doing is stimulating someone in that audience who says, I need to take it upon myself to go learn more about this. And now I know where to go. Because there's a lot of people, I think, that they're going to hear you speak or they're going to see what you guys are posting on social media and they'll be like, I don't even know where to begin. The yeah. rope is too high to jump to, right? And we have to kind of create that the, that disparity between where they think they fit into AI and where they actually fit from an impactful perspective, we have to draw that together for them to help them understand. You, you know, we can do that on the power side. One yeah, thing, definitely. Bill, Bill does, well, you do a lot of things really well, but um, <laughs> one thing that I, I think he does extremely well is get it down to a layman's person's yes. understanding. That's why I love him talking. And <laughs> so maybe, maybe for next year's conference, go back and take the top 10 buzzwords and say, WTF. What are yeah. they? Let's scratch the paint on those. Good, yeah. yeah. Can you do that? Generative yes. AI. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think yeah. that- Quantum computing. I remember I defined <laughs> generative AI using pugs. Yes, you did. I defined yep. generative AI using pugs where traditional AI, traditional AI, it's like a kid, right? You sit this kid down, right? And you show them picture after picture after picture of a pug, right? And eventually you're going to go to that kid and you're going to say, 
how many pictures of pugs did you see? And I say, wow, actually, no, 13 you mean, you mean the little dog? The little dog, yeah, exactly. I'm trying think, to track him. Like, I want to make sure everybody knows. You're not a dog person. Literally pugs. They translate this. They're really pugly. Not a technical term. It's literally a cute little puppy. Okay, great. So eventually this kid's going to come back and say, well, I saw 13 black ones. I saw 12, you know, fawn ones. I saw, you know, maybe like five white ones. And, you know, I bet you the next one you're going to show me, it's going to be a black one because you've shown me more of those than anything else. That is traditional AI pattern-based recognition at its simplest form, hold your hate emails. But generative AI, exact same thing. Same kid, same pictures, except now you take all those drawings away and you say, draw me a pug based on what I Generate a pug. Generate a pug. Wow. You see that the, an AI can do that now? Yes. That's it generates yeah. content. If you no if no you, but it, if it, you go it, on you could get it that if you go on chatgpt dot openai.com, I think that's the right address. And if you have a subscription to their GPT-4 model, if you go on extra services, there's one called Dolly, D-A-L-L-E, mm -hmm. right? You click on it and you can say, make me a company logo with a beautiful pug image. Oh, on it. I haven't seen that. Yep. And it'll do anything you want. It, draw me a pug that's, you know, ruler of the universe. And you have this pug that's ruler of the universe. Short answer. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Tell I me look, what you want generated. Here we go. Oh, here live. We go. We're doing this live on air. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we'll bring, Dean has to bring it to the camera. I want, I want an image of an octopus holding a trident. <laughs> okay, hold on. And, it's pretty good. And, while, while and he, in one in tentacle, it says, I love data centers. I'm just saying, let's see how smart this yeah, yeah. Yeah. thing is. How it is. But that, you know, that's the first step. You know, I see, I'm trying, I'm reading more history and technology now because we don't know what the future holds. We're in this unprecedented time. Things are changing so quickly. It's like, uh, you know, uh, my little story is like, people are afraid of new things like the radio, okay? So when they first started broadcasting baseball games on the radio, everybody freaked out. There's news articles, you can go search for them. And people were worried that kids would never play baseball again. Oh. But the radio actually served the Major League Baseball Association and grew baseball into the biggest thing it had ever been before. Because it touch everybody now. Because everybody got access. And that's a big part of like, we talked about missions and drives. For me, I'm in this space because I want more people to have access to all the great things that I have access to. And make it cheaper and more sustainable and wider spread and more easily adopted. Like, that's my why. That's why I'm here. So, you know, when when I look back, I'm trying to see like, what are the concerns? There's real ones around AI, things like that. What are the potential benefits? And you know, what other similar challenges are we gonna run into? So what are you finding? Like, you know, it's if you can go back to they fought electricity, right? Um yep. one that actually a story that came out when uh when the open compute project first started was railroads in the United States. And there used to be a bunch of different gauge systems all over this country based on where we brought the trains from, what countries, right? So they were all different widths. So then the tracks were all different widths in different spots. You can even go back to like Civil War history and say that railroad track widths probably had a massive impact on the outcome of the Civil War. And standardizing that track made huge positives and gained access for lots of people. And... North American rail, I think, is like still like the cheapest way to move something on this planet right now. Mm. And it's because we standardized. Are they, is it like standardized to one or standardized to like three? It's one. And actually they're facing this challenge um, in, you know, Ukraine and Russia right now. 
the train track systems are not the same. So there's an impact on moving food through the world right now. And one of those main problems is, is that you can't get the food unless you take it off a rail car and move it to a boat or a truck or a different rail car. And there were riots in North America back at the time when they were trying to change these rail systems because there were jobs of moving that material from one track system to another. You're going to remove my job. You're going to remove my job. And there were, there were clunky solutions like axles with three wheels on them so they could fit on two different track sizes. And like that wasn't really efficient. It wasn't great. We really just needed to pull all the pins, kick the rail out a little bit and make them all the same size. Europe innovated and they have the dynamic ones that will adjust literally a train as it's flowing and the, the rail changes in size and width, it will dynamically lift and, sh- and shift like without actually having to pull the train up and change the base. Just putting I'm springs. train expert. No, me neither. Uh, you know but, what it sounds like. Yeah, but, <laughs> but they will, they will, they will shift and adapt those uh, those tracks when when a new when a new rail comes in. So that that's a form of you know innovation where you can have these different types of standards, but you can you can shape and pull. Hmm. But if you think about the world right now, the reason that things actually are more efficient is because we come up with standards, right? Axles, trains, etc. Um, there's a great book called Box, and it's about the shipping industry and how they can create standardized containers. Shipping containers, 20 foot, 40 foot, 60 foot. Why? So they could fit on container ships, so they could fit on trucks, so they could actually be optimized to get things from A to B as fast as possible. Yeah, can I challenge you about something? That, this is hmm. like the biggest thing that I've I've experienced in this industry. And usually, you know, we, we don't get a lot of people, you know, fisticuffs. Let's go. <laughs> um, you know, and this is something that I've experienced uh, in, in, you know, in this industry. Um, we talk about standardization, but we're not we're not good at standardization in, in the data True. center space, right? We still are ready to, to like flip a chair or a table over when we start talking about PUE and how it's measured. You know, now we're starting to throw in like total usage effectiveness, even water usage effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And and people get all up in arms. And I, I I think that the barrier to uh to standardization, at least in our industry, is transparency. I haven't seen we're we're transparent, certainly, but to the same extent, some of these larger data center players yeah. be quite as transparent as as they should be, which which stifles any standardization practice that um, that we would want to go after. So while I do like the concept and idea of of standardizing, and it would really help us a lot, I think mm-hmm. we're not very good at it. Are we getting better? I mean, I, I'm curious. At what about point, though? Like, what point are you expecting to see standardization? To what level? I mean, there's NASCAR. They all have their stock cars. The only thing that differences, the only differentiation is the the driver and the pit crew, right? So operations is maybe never going to be standardized because that's maybe the secret sauce. All right. And by the way, thank you for asking that question because yeah, let's I think hear what he is, says. This is, this is a reality that we have to face. Standards take a decade to actually formalize and get adopted. Hmm. So if you look at the um, the climate accord, why do we come together? Um, because we're not moving fast enough. Everybody's talking about, well, we should have a standard measure. We should have whatever else. But perfection is the enemy of progress. Okay? But what happens is a natural maturity over time. So take what we're talking about now. PUE. People still complain about it. Uh But it's diminishing return. Why? Because we came up with a standard measurement that still is being tuned, but the result was what we wanted. It flattened the curve of power consumption because of all the waste that was on the right side of the decimal because we had horrible PUEs. 
But what happened? Christian put that back out, donated it to the green grid, and everyone started debating, and then they started measuring. And when I they started measuring- Christian Blotty was the guy that came up with that? Yep. Christian was on an airplane ride coming back from Japan, trying to help the Japanese customers understand efficiency within data centers. And he said, well, then it comes down to power usage effective. Like he literally came up with that and then he put it and then he said, green grid, you need to do something about it. He donated it to the green grid so that they could move it. And then what happened? The green grid standardized it. They put it into law through the DOE. I was actually at that session of the White House. It was really, really cool where they went back and said, now we're going to use this as a standard and push all of the federal facilities, which was the largest data center portfolio in the world, by the way. Data it centers, was right? or is? Was then. I assume it's still big. Okay. Um, but, but the point is that they drove that. Okay. We didn't stop progress because of a standard. We basically created the way to approach to get to a standard and make progress along the way. And I think that's the key. Like if we do not get going on something, we're never going to get there. But you have to have some guiding light of where you want to be. I want to be able to measure like this. So power capacity effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Why do they put that metric out? Because we waste so much capacity on the left side of the decimal, the one. We don't utilize it, right? Okay. Well, why are we doing that? Because no one's measuring it. Okay, well, I'll put out power capacity effectiveness. Now, everybody's debating, well, what that one? We can't do this when we can't hold the tens. Of Great. Just ask your executives, right, to put that as a metric to track it, and it will change it. No matter what, just like PUE did, just like any other metric would be. So we can get to a standardized approach. I'm not saying that everything has to be driven standards. It ultimately becomes standards. Mm -hmm. But that's the after effect of the transition and I think the disruption because there's a forcing function has to be there. And to do that, you need something that will make that forcing function happen. What is that for us? Which nerd won that fight? Innovation, I guess. I, mean, nerd, yeah. I think we all win that fight. Oh, great answer. Good I job. said, which nerd wins this fight? Yeah, here? Oh yeah, we all I do win. have two kids. So <laughs> no, but I think we all win. Like if you're, if we're talking about what we're measuring or what we're trying to improve or where we're trying to go. And if there's debate, that's a good thing in my yep. mind. Yep. Because if we're not talking about it, nothing's changing. Mm -hmm. Or it'll all a, be the same. Yeah, it's, right. it will be. And, and so, you know, maybe they don't all have to be NASCAR. Maybe they don't have to be stock cars because I don't think our industry is really going to play where everybody's driving the same stock car. Yeah. Or they don't have to be the same set of rails either. Right. But maybe they're more like Formula One, right? Where they meet a same set of standards, yet they all have different competitive advantages and utilize, play within those bounds that in a competitive way. I think we're also talking about like two different types of standards. Like you're talking about a standard that was required for like the physicalness of something that hindered progress versus the standard for like best case operations, which is PUE. So there's a different, I think like how you build something really does demand standards versus how you improve a process or operate something. Mm demands debate, you know, and I think putting something out there to drive action makes sense. But in terms of like the things I care about from OCP, like I really would like pipe sizes to be standard, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's, 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 wow. That's a, good, that's a good ask. That's a very good ask. Hey, well, what that's not an ask of me. I'm, okay. you know, yeah, that's, that's the community. Ask right? of me, that's yeah. the community, right? So the, the foundation is really just the framework in which all of our volunteers work. And these 400 member companies with 3000 plus engineers come together daily on phone calls and debate these exact things, right? And they're currently debating pipe size and best practices and what types of fittings to use. And, you know, data center folks have been playing in air for a really long time. You know, unless you're mechanical working on chillers, but mm -hmm. that's pretty standard. But now we're going to bring it into the rack. Now we're going to bring it in these environments. 
we have a, there's a knowledge and a skill set there that hasn't fully translated yet. So we need the chip manufacturers and we need the rack manufacturers and all the pieces and parts and the, the people who are going to integrate it and install it and maintain it. All the, all have to come to the table to discuss how are we doing this and can we agree on at least some base criteria. And, and uh, the open compute uh, community, open compute community is so critical for that because by the way, you open sourced hardware, right? You open source network and you also open source data center. And I think what's important is just like we talk about the military, you can't actually understand until you've experienced it. When you experienced it, you have a different level of appreciation and understanding to, to apply it in a certain way. So when we now take the hardware manufacturers who are trying to do a liquid-cooled solution, it sure would be good to go back and take these mechanical engineers that actually do data centers and deal with this at a totally different scale and marry them. Yeah. Because then you really get a system that is highly optimized because they've been there, done that, right? The hardware side's been there, done that, but they don't know that. Absolutely. So this is where I think uh, open compute is really important because the community comes together and say, can we get to a standard pipe size? Well, why? What? What's it going to do? What are we going to measure? How is it going to work? The right people in the room will get to a standard that everyone will go, yep, that'll be highly optimized. Yeah, it's well said. I mean, we've, we've operated even within our disciplines in solos, though we're a very large community. We have sub-communities. We have these individual projects, right? And we talk about just servers or we talk about just network. And I'll challenge you, Bill, on standardization around network. I mean, network's pretty standard. I think I think that's fine, but I think from a broader, like a broader data center perspective. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. Network standardizations. I mean, you're not going to have a successful flow of traffic unless you're going to right have some level of standardization, which I agree with you. Yes, that, and that happened in an open collaborative environment. I mean, the, the open compute project, like network technology, we drive that. We're not we're not just doing a more efficient, more open version of that for the industry. You mean. For the industry, oh, yeah. yeah, we're so impactful. Um, Big time. On network, it's crazy, and we're also getting feedback that we're impactful in cooling environments. Like we, especially now. Yeah. Like it is so super critical now because it's never been this important with, with, with the density. Why don't Bill, maybe you start and take us around the horn on the things that you think are the challenges, like people that are listening right now that are now gaining a foundation of understanding of how they connect to AI through their profession in this industry. What are some of the challenges that you see this industry's going to continue to be presented with uh, over the next, I mean, I'm guessing we have to play the long game. We're thinking about this thing in decades, right? But what are some of the low hanging fruit maybe, or some of the things that you see that we're almost emerging from, or there's almost a boiling point to something, but, and maybe we just go around the horn because each of you has such a, like I said, we each have our own purpose and everyone's viewing things through their, their own objects. You know, your aperture is different than mine, sort of speak. Why don't you start with yours and, and take us around because I want it to be able to be something that people that are listening to go, okay, well, I could probably be a part of that solution, mm -hmm. right? That's what you want is you want to have these discussions so that somebody is just driving down the road or they're, you know, on the treadmill at the gym or whatever. And, and they're like, wait a second, I, our product can do that, mm -hmm. right? So why don't you lay it out? Man, that's a good question. Um, Neuro, Neuro was founded in 2019 and they entered a market um, where they became the de facto white label cloud, the AWS SageMaker, basically. Unfortunately, they were, were in Russia. As a Ukrainian company, you can understand how that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. So the company in itself entirely, and we're talking people, IP, everything, shifted to the US market last year. So no more, we're not, not, not in Eastern Europe or Russia anymore. And coming into the United States market, we learned a lot. 
what were some of the biggest challenges? Adoption pace. Like people- Faster than you thought? No. no. Slow. <laughs> slow. Really? Snail. Oh my God, slow. Snail pace. Snail pace. Like it took us, it took us eight months, eight months to bring up officially one partner who is brilliant. I'll call him out. Scott Data Center out in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Get it. Um, and they're like, we hear you, Bill. We're going to do this because we spoke with our clients and they would- we already have their workloads. We have their exchange servers. We have their databases. So we're like, can we have your AI workloads too and charge you way less than you're being charged right now? And they're like, you would do that? And they're like, heck yeah. So it took them, we're almost this close to launching a portal with Neuro, our logo on there, with them going full blown. Another use case was former Ethereum miners. They had a whole bunch of A100 nodes that they're like, I wonder what we can do with these to make a better business model. They were easier, right? Because they already had infrastructure. The pace of adoption has been the most challenging thing. We as an interoperability platform, we're ready. We're we're done. The car is built. We just need the roads. So for us, the slowest link is the infrastructure, is the facility, right? So to an extent where I use Dean's gear to put it into a facility so that a data center company can test out the water. So literally they're putting their logo on Dean's gear, right? They're, they're testing it out. I'm, I'm getting off track. The, the, the biggest challenge that we've experienced in terms of if helping and facilitating data centers and people get into the generative AI, just the AI space to become actual competitors in this, in this market, is 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 unfortunately fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's it's um and it's just it's just slowness. It's the slowness of, of of people coming out and saying, okay, let's adopt this. And the reasoning behind that um is because we are so used to selling space capacity and power, and that's it, right? Going into the services area, competing against the major hyperscalers. To some people, it's nascent, it's scary, but it's an existential question and challenge because every data center is going to become an AI data center. It all depends on how quickly you get there. And so what we've been trying to do is accelerate that process. And it's still not, not very easy at all. We still get pushback. We still get, you know, what, it, and we, we're, we provide monetization revenue cycles. We provide how it's going to look. We, we literally give them the book on, on what this business will look like. And it, it's still like, all right, well, let's take our time. Maybe we can put a little bit of stuff in here. And, and that's, that's Do you have been, people marketing that for you so that when smart people make other things for other smart people, um, it's hard if unless you have a marketing element to it sometimes to help them understand something? It's not, it's not even marketing. The, the dollars are there and the business is there. Where we've learned when a data center partner does buy into this, it's their board of directors and investors that are the happiest because we've given them a new line of business a direct, really market-relevant source of revenue. We've created a valuation accelerator for them. And they really didn't have to lift a finger other than continue to be amazing at what they do. As long as they put the neural platform on there, they can still continue to sell space capacity and power. And that takes ages. I, th ages I think for this conversation that you just had makes a lot of sense to me, but I think that that's marketing the way that you described it is what I'm saying. It doesn't mean like it has a cool, flashy thing to it, but I mean like someone has to break it back down to help them feel something about it because yeah. the other part of their brain it's that a makes that process. decision. And, and right. we've done this time and time again. My my success is the ability to speak with C-level people. And it's it's a process. All right, cool, Bill. Really like it. Let's do a demo. Bill, this demo is really cool. What does the physical infrastructure look like? Cool. This physical infrastructure is really cool. What what does it look like to deploy this? And this, this takes five to six months just for a data center partner to yeah. say, 
Let's do it. Everything's like that though. Then it right. has a tipping point, right? But so then it takes to deploy time. gear. Now, what's great with Dean is that I can call Dean and get V100s like tomorrow, right? Pre- pre- not tomorrow, but very, today. very quickly today, in fact. <laughs> but if I try right and now. go with like H100s or A100s, we're talking yeah. like an extraordinary amount of time. 52 week lead time now. So your biggest challenge that you see from AI's adoption is the adoption. And that probably comes back to the people that have the ability to understand at the level which you're talking about. And sometimes when I say marketing, I mean like it's a bit broken down for paint by numbers and people, because if someone's in finance and they're making purchasing decisions, they don't understand it's not, AI. We don't talk to people. We, we literally, what our goal has been to talk to C-level executives, C-level individuals. We finance. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's the idea and, and, and the conversations that we have to show them. What does it cost? What does it cost per kilowatt? How do you make money on this? All of that stuff is proven. Now I'm not pulling the stuff out of, you know, the air, for example, we've done this at a massive scale at my company. It's just, it's just an educational process for many, many, many of these leaders. Who so it sounds like you shouldn't be trying to work on the car anymore. You need to start figuring out who has to build roads for you, right? To put it back into your Literally. own terms. And that's what he was saying. The gold rush, the people that made the most were the people selling the pans and the, the pickaxes, right? So there's, there's one more thing I want to make yeah. sure we mention. we talk about here for anyone listening who thinks that NVIDIA is only the only horse in this race, you are wrong, even though they currently have 70% of the market. That's going to end. So we've done at my company, we've built out hybrid nodes. So AMD MI 200s sitting right alongside uh, NVIDIA A100 cards. And what we've done in our platform is because it's complex that you have to translate from, for example, CUDA to Synapse and others, we don't do that. Each of our training workloads runs what's called an atomic workload, individual on each card. So there's no translation, which means that in, in the very, very, very near future, you will have hybrid architecture supporting these kinds of environments, right? Not just NVIDIA. So to, to your earlier point, it's 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 understanding how this adoption can happen at, at a better pace and not being afraid of it and seeing how it can fit into your business. And once that aha moment happens, here's the reality of the situation. When we pitch this to a retail data center, we say, full stop, go ask your customers. Go ask your customers that you already host if they would bring their AI workloads and you charge them 50% less, what would they say? Well, uh, I think that what you deal with is that herd mentality where you have everyone standing around the pool and they're just waiting for the first one to jump in sometimes, right? So I, I imagine the first one through the wall is always the bloodiest. So if you're innovating or at the tip of the spear or something, mm-hmm. it takes a little bit of time, you know, to get that adoption rate to hit. But it sounds like that first mover's advantage always pays off. I mean, yep. look at, we were talking about Elon, right? Talking about the cars. And there was a time there where I was talking to one of my old CEOs and he's like, oh yeah, the only people who made money on Tesla were those that were handicapping or betting against the business. And I'm like, not anymore, right? Yeah. Have you seen the stock? Exactly right. <laughs> so I'm like, and he didn't yeah. care because he was like, I remember I watched an interview and he's like, do you think I did this to make money? I did it to change the industry. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And he goes, the people that rode with me, they'll be fine, right? So changing things takes time, right? And that makes a lot of sense. Um, what about on you, Dean? Well, actually, I just want to expand a little bit on what he just said. Mm-hmm. It takes an open mind mm-hmm. and disrupting your own business. Because mm-hmm. right now, if you look at Colos, retail, et cetera, they have a certain amount of things that they do. Suddenly saying, well, I'm going to be an AI data center. What does that mean? But there are print, some Colos that will get it. Oh, There's yeah, yeah, yeah. 5% of the Colo markets, their CEOs are innovators too. And they're like, I, I want it. They but just need to find those the, ones. The thing is, the difference here is <laughs> the Peter Gross quote. <laughs> the yeah. majority of them are still looking at, well, that's a tried and true tested model. I, Why I, change? I can't expand out from that. I think what Bill's Bill's offering here is that the easy button is through Nero. In other words, you can leverage what they've already built 
white label it, offer it to your customers, deliver its Cato capacity in your data center. This, this isn't about you reinventing and coming up with a technology. It literally exists. Package it as yours and make it available. This isn't VMware. This isn't Citrix. This isn't like these old school technologies that we grew up with virtualization. The pace of this market is so extraordinary that like you can't wait six to eight months because you're going to lose that business to some major. What will it do to VMware? What will it do to those types of groups? VMware and Citrix are they're they're Will they not Citrix ever go anywhere? Now something they got bought. Those are legacy technologies, in my opinion. And someone who who was uh, at one point the CTO of, of the United States' largest Citrix Platinum partner, you know, we realized that they were a bridge on how to deliver legacy applications to modern, you know, web UIs and and, and workloads. That that's what they did, right? Part of the reason now VMware has a strong foothold in the data center. Let, let's full stop there. They have a much bigger reach. But folks like you know Citrix, that they they grew up on you know the the interconnect exchange protocol, the IC, ICA ICA protocol. Um, and, and that, that's, that's, that's was their, the life in terms of trying to take these legacy. I mean, I remember trying to virtualize a, a Microsoft green screen for an AS for hundred IBM AS for hundred ecosystem to, so I can put it into Citrix. It, it has its use cases, but they're, they're two completely different technologies, right? Where, where Citrix and VMware are, are nice to have, or maybe, maybe very important for infrastructure. What we're talking about here are entire new revenue models. I mean, completely different paradigms and how you can adapt to this. Again, the biggest change here, and what I really want to emphasize, what, what Dean was saying, is there, there's no, there's no, the pace of the market adoption here is way different than virtualization, way different than even I would argue cloud computing. The, the, the pace at which this is happening is so extraordinary that, again, it's the customers of these co-locations that are now driving so many of my conversations. And I'm stuck because I don't have capacity or I'm trying to build out capacity so we can deploy more of these workloads. And I don't, I don't have an amazing data center partner. Now, the other challenge is if I have a data center partner that's got, I got all these GPUs, a customer's reticent to move because then I'm like, I got to bring in my own, my own tool set, PyTorch, Lambda, whatever it is that I build models with, I have to rebuild all of this as opposed to having a platform to build all this on. So going back to my biggest challenge, it's frustrating. Yes, adoption takes time, but it's adoption within what I would consider like the molten lava of a market space right now that I, I would have expected probably more retail data centers like, let's do this. Interesting. Sorry, I got passionate there for a second. No, I like it. Frustrating. This is interesting. All right. I no, think, this is great. I, I think the flow is going to be good. I want to hear what your frustration is because I'm just anticipating that the rotation of this room, it's going to it's going to stack. Right. It's, yeah, it's going to be great. The pieces all fit together. They do. Um, it's not really a frustration. I think it's a risk on my side. It's that um, our industry has been very, uh, uh, I guess, quiet. Not, or just We don't talk to a lot of other people. We make a lot of assumptions. So I think we've got a, um, a social issue. Let me explain what that means. Um, Bill you, and I were both out in the East Coast and we saw... You know, people picketing the conference we were at. First time that was the first time I ever. Picketing? No more data centers. You're taking our power. Like, you're taking our Virginia. jobs. Like, yeah, right. like a lot, a lot of people. Like they were upset and holding signs, standing in front of the hotel we were in. And, and what's great is Bill and Yuval and others went over and actually had the conversation. Now, this is what's important about this. Um, we are about to triple our infrastructure, and you think about. Loudoun County, Virginia, it used to be the poster child for economic development and all the opportunities. And all of a sudden, the opinion flipped from certain people are going, wait, but you're taking all our land, you're taking our power, you're taking our things. So there's a community aspect of this that I don't know if we truly understand. Mm -hmm. 
And so what we need to do is think of how do we build in an ecosystem? Because digital infrastructure is the great equalizer. It is the way to participate in the digital economy. If you do not have digital infrastructure, it's like not having an off-ramp from the freeway. They're just going to drive past you. So if you take all the cities, states, countries, et cetera, you have to have digital infrastructure. Now we flip that around and go, well, what does that mean when we actually roll it in? What does it mean to the people that actually live there? What does it mean to their kids? What does it mean to jobs? What does it mean to the, right, the, the infrastructure, the support systems of the fire stations and the libraries and the schools and everything else? It is a community component that we need to think about. And I think that we have not been looking at it. And this is this was really evident just in, in what we've seen across Ireland. So this is happening there, Amsterdam, Singapore, right? Loudoun County. There's a whole bunch of people that are either banning data centers or throttling the expansion, right? Or actually creating a narrative about that's like the new oil and that oil is dirty and uh. it's killing the planet versus it is the thing that's enabling the planet. So we have both a education, bi-directional. This is for them to educate us as well as us educate them and a community um, collaboration that we need to come together on. So I think that that's a, that's a pretty big risk That's why for us. I think this industry needs to hit a bigger platform that yep. has a broader audience that it could touch because I think too many people just don't understand. Right, and they fill in the blanks if you, don't, if you don't go back and actually have a clear message on what it is. And by the way, a lot of people position this as a PR problem. It's not a PR problem. This is literally about how do you engage with your stakeholders in which you operate in those environments. If you do not engage with those stakeholders, you don't know exactly what they know, what they don't know, what they care about, what the impact is, and you cannot make the right decision because you have the wrong information or don't have enough information for it. So just like the climate accord, we're considering a social accord. Because yeah. if you look at ESG, right? Environmental is what we're doing with the, so with the climate accord. Social, we need to deal with this. Governance is how do we measure the effectiveness of <laughs> environmental and social impacts of digital infrastructure, right, within the communities in which we operate. So stay tuned. We're, ex we're exploring Can some I, of that. We, there's got to be other markets we, like Wyoming and Nebraska or, you know, that are like, bring it here. We'll take it, you, you know? You'd be surprised. Yes, like Omaha, Nebraska is actually a really great market. We invited two of those protesters, Elena and Julie, to come. I was I was leading yeah. a panel at DCD Virginia, and it was it was you know social you know uh, PR issues in the data center. It was going to be you know a whole bunch of data center people you know talking to themselves. So I bring up I got I know a couple of people. Let me bring them on board, and their concerns were valid. Their concerns were very. What were valid. their concerns? You know, and, and some of them required a little bit of, of education. For example, they were concerned about building facilities that were close to national battlegrounds, for example, right? But the counter to that was that these facilities were only going to be limited to 60 feet in height. And if there's going to be issue with visibility, they were going to put natural shrubbery over there. Cool. The other challenge was you have so many diesel generators here. There's no way you can do this. You're going to pollute our air. So the, the conversion there was great. Some of these facilities are actually using vegetable oil, hydrogenated vegetable oil, HVO, that removes 85% of those emissions from those generators. So again, there's concerns that have to be met yeah. with realism. Now, the one thing that I don't agree with that came out from that panel, right? NIMBY, not in my backyard. Fine, right? We can we can we can work around. But one of one of the activists said something that I I will never agree with. She taught me a new acronym, note, note, not over there either. Which I'm like, all right, well that's 
Do you want to? want to go? Well, I mean, what do you want me? Well, I, how Tell do them I, to hand over their phones and their yeah, technology. Yeah, it's, Say it's, just it's, don't use becomes, tech anymore, and we won't need these things. It becomes impossible, right? So there needs needs to be a balance. But Dean Nelson, I mean, holy cow! That what a, what a great that is that is something that we absolutely need to become much. So that's more, the biggest yeah, challenge for AI's liberation, or before we unleash it, is educating communities that are building infrastructure to support this type of growth. You're saying we can't have the resistance. AI has become a megaphone for people and all of a sudden we're we are now more in the mainstream than we've ever been before in the past there was a south park episode for everybody watching i highly recommend this one it's called deep learning and at the very end of the credits i don't want to give it away it said written by matt stone and chat gpt it's scary it's scary good it's scary good right and so all of a sudden these pieces of our industry are hitting the limelight. They're being discussed on CNBC or Fox or whatever you want to listen to. Typically from finance, you know, because someone's yeah. investing big into something or someone just bought somebody. But I don't, I think that it's light years out still. I mean, I think that it it could be rapidly brought back in through the right platforms. You need a celebrity almost to get into this industry and be like, I get it. You know, you mm -hmm. need something like that. It's an influencer outside of our industry. I'm going yeah. to see if I can hit up Tay-Tay or something. Maybe she'll talk about data centers. But just to, just to wrap that up, yeah. <laughs> to wrap that up, I think the key is that um, we need to have that collaboration because mm -hmm. if we do not, it will throttle our Community ability impact. to expand infrastructure globally. And and just last thing on this, when I was in Africa, we held a regional advisory council session with uh, hyperscalers and providers, and we went back and said, "So tell us the challenges across Africa. It's very different." And it really was, well, the, the, the providers are saying, I don't know what the demand is. And then you've got the, the, the demand folks saying, I don't know what they're providing. Oh, hmm. yeah. Interesting. And then on top of that, you have the government saying, I don't know what this is. I should probably just regulate it. Governments. So we're actually working on a state of the industry report that's going to have a deep dive into Africa, India, and LATAM to help do that. And one of the things that I'm doing is calling our friends in the hyperscale side and basically saying, tell us what your, your forecasts are for Africa. Cause I can do that. I have no commercial interest in any of this. It really goes back to, if we understand that and we marry it with this, then we say, here are the top five things for economic development in Africa that each one of the governments should consider. Now all of a sudden we're creating a playbook and educating them on the opportunity, which will grease the skids that allows them to go do 10 gigawatts capacity across the continent. That That's the kind of thing we need to do so that's a standard anyways, but it's, but it really comes down to community engagement. You still have to say, how do I go into Africa? How do I go into Loudoun County? How do I go into Wyoming? Prince William County. There's, there's yeah. stakeholders in all of them. This has been great so far. So I have two of them so far. I'm interested in what yours is. We are, <clears throat> we are coming out of a period of building uh, <laughs> what we thought we were coming out of from the pandemic and all the impacts of going more digital and I've, in the analyst reports that I've been reading, and I've been doing a lot more of that lately, um, shout out to our fellow analysts, is that growth in this industry from a physical infrastructure perspective has been sub 10% for a very long time. In the last five quarters, it's been double digits. And the supply chain from the infrastructure that was starting to fade off from all the building going on because of the pandemic is now getting bolstered back up and maybe pushed even harder yeah. and in two major categories, power and cooling. Mm -hmm. 
physical infrastructure for data centers. That's what's bringing this number up into double digits growth. The tons and tons of chips haven't even landed yet. <laughs> They're not even here yet. And I think there's a lot of people putting those into place, your largest buyers, right? And it's not just NVIDIA chips. It's lots of other chips that are coming in the space. We're creating open standards so that multiple types of silicon, not just NVIDIA, can be used in the same environment. We're creating standards so that it's not just even one supplier. It's going to be five suppliers or more building all these things. We're dealing with one right now at the promise of what they're going to build. In two to three years, we're going to be dealing with a multitude of that at a scale that's much higher. So the infrastructure that has to be built to support that technology that supports the demand that we're putting on it is, is a really tall order. You're talking about like the semiconductor fabrication plants that are building chips here? Be, beyond that. So we have that, but then you have to house it and you have to cool it and you have to power it. No. The stuff that we're most familiar with, right, on the physical infrastructure side, the MEP world, right, the, the tangible buildings, um, we got to build it right this time. Because we can't, we're going to continue to use the existing infrastructure the best of its ability. We're also going to deploy new new technologies and new innovations that are going to have to take this round one of generative AI and technology around it. And we're just scratching the paint on AI. And we're all kind of here at the front row going, oh boy, we're going to have this conversation again in a couple of years. And it's going to be a lot bigger than what we're even dealing with today. So uh, we have to come together on, on those issues. We have to innovate faster than ever, even though we don't like it unless it's 10 years old. We have to be a good neighbor and not just, you know, use good sound attenuation and paying our more than fair share of taxes. We have to really be in the community and not just a building that lives on a piece of land that's next to a community. And we have to have transparency to have those conversations so that we can create standards that most of us can get along with so that we can move forward. Okay, interesting. So volume and innovation is what you're saying is the biggest limitation for? It's gonna be, it, it, the scale is gonna be the hardest. If you're gonna put it in one, one bit, scale is gonna be a challenge. And the standardization to enable that scale to happen? So uh, education, which I think would lead to a solution for your adoption rate, community impact, scalability, where's yours? I think in terms of you need to build for the future requires education today. So in terms of what you said, you know, things things are going to be hybrid for a while. There's We're not all moving to liquid tomorrow. So in terms of starting to educate yourself on what how you should be building in the future, um, whether that's because you're going to have a compute that demands liquid cooling or whether that's because it's maybe silly to spend 40% of your power on air cooling when there's a better solution. Um, and I think the only reason that you would build for air, and I feel like part of this, me saying to educate, I should share what I've learned. Um, part of why you would do that is if you're avoiding risk, right? And so I published a forecast on liquid cooling in 2012, and it was very unpopular because I was very negative because it was like, this isn't going to happen. Oh, you were saying it's not going to be adopted quickly? No, I was like, I who guess would want to do that? Like, it was crazy, right? Like, why would you want to, you know, like, immersion has its place for sure. Like, for sure, there's edge use cases for that. But it's- Bitcoin it's, miners were using it first in the totally. white scale, right? Yeah, but it's radical, right? And then single phase direct to chip, like, it's water in your servers. That's pretty radical, too. So I do think, and it's the reason I left Informa. I love that job. I love working with Bill. But- there's a new technology for liquid cooling, and that's Excelsius does that. It's two-phase, direct-to-chip, and it's using – so it's 
not a radical form factor. It's in a normal rack. It can be hybrid. So you can start today and scale up as you need. And most importantly, the two phase means that if there's a leak and, you know, God forbid leaks don't happen, but life happens, it doesn't destroy your compute. So there's no, not no risk, but there's as much risk as buying a Lieber, you know? <laughs> so I think there is an opportunity to educate, kind of reduce that fear as you're kind of like thrown into this phase where you're going to have to do something smarter to have enough power to power your compute and or your chips will demand it. So you're going to need liquid cooling probably I see, to start educating. I can understand why the cooling part is the hardest to adopt because, I mean, we don't really change the way we deploy electrons, right? But the mechanical permutation could, uh, it's harder to future-proof that, right? Yeah. And I think that I can imagine being one of those people standing at the edge of the pool being like, I'll be the last one to go in because maybe by the time that it's ready, you know, there's a whole other chip and I'm gonna have to solve cool. for it all over again, right? I mean, there's always gonna be an aftermarket, sort of speak, not what you're saying, but you're repurposing things to give it more life. And I think that allows people to probably make decisions that take pressure off them from a mechanical perspective because they know that they could hold on to that gear longer mm -hmm. and they could solve for their environment. I could definitely understand after this conversation, I'm like, I could understand why operators, they don't wanna to touch you. I, I could totally understand why operators don't wanna to touch you. They know that it's inevitable, but why would they be? I mean, there's only 5% of that market where they're like, we'll be the first. Like you need to go talk to like Jake Carnamark or something like that, who he's got a big fat brain too. He's thinking five, 10 years out all the time. Nothing's code locked with that man, right? He's going to be someone that's like, yeah, we could build around that, you know, but you need to find those people because those are the ones that pull everything else through, right? The, the, the I disruptors. I love yeah. your pool analogy. I love it, right? You can stand on the deck for as long as you want and every new chip is going to come out, but eventually you're going to have to learn to swim mm -hmm. and you're going to have to get <laughs> in, right? So, and because at least once you're swimming and you know what that pool's like, yeah, there you go. You can get out and go to a different pool that's got a better, you know, lane yeah. system or whatever it is. But like, you can wait a little, you can, you can wait as long as you want. It's like, but eventually you're going to have to, you can put floaties on if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have floaties that are coming out on open compute stuff because we have um You just literally took that. Well I done. did. Well, I just I'm building on it. Thank you. Right? <laughs> building and, on and, it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So um I like we had an issue it. in in the enterprise environment, right? Hyperscalers, it's pretty easy for to adopt our stuff. It's different than traditional hardware, but if you're deploying a lot of it, you do whatever you want pretty much. But in the enterprise environment, you might have sunk costs in existing hardware. Sure. So we have our we, and what I should say is our community of vendors have solutions for adopting 19 inch and 21 inch mm -hmm. equipment in the same rack. Like our power is a little different, right? We, we distribute power from the back of the rack. We don't have PDUs with whips, um, but you could put servers that need PDUs with whips in the same rack as OCP hardware now. And so having those floaties for new deployments is gonna be super helpful in a you, very hybrid environment. You know who helps you too? who helps all of you is when you're trying to go, like half of our customers are the hyperscaler, baby scalers, right? And the other half are the operators. And it's not unusual for me to have a team of people in a facility, you know, like one of Crosby's and then one of their clients also hired us to do their entire fit out, right? And manage that stuff. I think that you have to pick up that third rail and, and there's a lot of consultants like us that are owners, representatives, you know, we're ambassadors for them. They, they have their people, and then they go out and hire uh, people when they need them to come in and tell them what's the most economically efficient means and methods to deploy this. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're missing that rail. You should be talking to more 
people that sit inside other decision makers' offices as a consultant, and they ask us to validate things. We don't play Caesar and make decisions, but we certainly have the ability to put things in front of them that they otherwise wouldn't even know about because they're too busy doing their own stuff. They're not out there trying to be ahead of line or best in class in certain things at this point from a labor perspective, because you can't keep up with that. That model was untenable because you would invest so much into that human being and then that human being could be, they could have the biggest brain ever, but then someone else could offer them 20% more and they're gone tomorrow, right? And now all that travel knowledge went with them. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's gotta be a better approach, a more strategic approach to how you, how you impregnate the ecosystem with this knowledge so that they could go carry it through for you, staying on the standardization, because there's plenty of groups that they don't know what they don't know. And they will hire someone else to be like, well, how are the other guys doing it? We get asked those questions all the time. Like we don't exchange proprietary information on the way that people deploy or deliver their power. But sometimes I'm like, well, they definitely aren't doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that you can do to move it away and to advance the system. And I think that takes place in the way that we drive the industry together in these conversations. But well, And people don't want vendor lock-in either, right? Like mm -hmm. they don't want to be stuck. Like, okay, it could be the latest and greatest and all the math pencils out and like, this is the new technology. It's going to work great. But what if something changes? Our relationship with that vendor changes, the economics change, the pool looks better over there. Like those things can change. But when you use a platform that is modular and adoptable, like Cato uses, and you layer on top of that, a platform that has tons of choice, you know, that, that helps adoption a lot, right? And we've seen that in the market where, well, if you like this today and something new comes out tomorrow, how hard is it to switch? If you put your customers in a position that make them easier to make changes and keep them happy, then that's a, that's a much better place to be. Let me uh, wrap this up and then we'll bring this one home unless anybody has anything else, but I'll, I'll tell you how it ties into me then because understanding everybody else's allows me to understand how I play within your guys' world. I'm not in your world. I mean, I'm in your world, but I'm on the outside building the box and saying, here's, put your world in this thing type of thing. And I think that as everyone's moving to standardization and as we're um, really turning everything that we're doing is as a service, right? Um, I think that we're going to, Companies like mine will do two things. We will become laser focused on the deployment of AI capacity. We will one day hopefully be the preeminent solution for that because it's going to be so aggressive. You need someone like us that are just as excited about it, you know, to be able to follow along that. Move it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's going to grow. It, it won't code lock anytime soon. That's why that mechanical solution, I could see how the adoption of that would be like, well, let's wait and see what comes out in six months from now, right? But I could see it you just need to make a case and be like, well, this stuff's not going anywhere in three to five years. In fact, it could be used for 10 now. And, and the demand will create um, the need to invest long-term into that stuff. So I think you'll have groups like us that become advanced and specialized on the deployment of AI capacity. And I think it, you're going to need collaborators with you that will tell you what that impact is on the labor force, because that's the second part is labor, turning labor into a service. And I think that you'll, I think that, there will be this, I think that if I, uh, I was asking the guys that run this podcast for us, I'm like, what are some of the other podcasts you see come through these boxes? Right. And, and they're like, well, it was amazing. Cause after COVID clearly there was a huge push for, um, psych, like psychological health. People were realizing they were in a funk. Everybody I think was whipped after COVID-19 and, and a lot of people were reinventing themselves as a byproduct of that. And he's like, we would see a lot of podcasts where people were talking about, you know, uh, mental health. 
And, and that led to, you know, a lot of people getting into psychedelics and, you know, mushroom therapy and, you know, things like that. And now they're seeing, uh, they're like a big theme now is people are becoming more aware, not just because of this time of the year, but people tend to have new year's resolutions and are going to eat healthier and more kale or whatever it is. But the reality is, is I think people are, are becoming more aware of the impact that technology also has on their health mentally and physically. And you're going to see people, um, the pendulum will shift back in a little bit where people will start, you know, turning their phones over instead of leaving them face up at night when they go to bed or I'm just little things, little habits that are going to transcend into more things. Like I'm going to take more of my conference calls while walking, which makes me want to eat better. And if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to have to sleep. You're just going to see this whole thing take place. I think that as you all are pioneers and are trying to advance in the innovation of technology so that we, the consumers could have a better life. I look at the technology that you advance, not from the way I use it from social media. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people like it's the, whole, the worst thing. I'm like, it is. And it's also the best thing. I've been able to reach more people and learn more things because of social media. So I don't want to get rid of it, but I do want to have a healthier balance with it. And I think that um, what you'll see is people will continue to move too fast to slow down and invest into their workforce because the demand will, I mean, when we hit that gold rush, no one's going to stop to care about the other people that are in the trenches with them. I think that no one's going to stop to slow down and, and develop their talent. They're not going to invest into making sure they're okay, healthy. And I think the community impact and the impact of society that I can make is it started with the veteran community, which transcends into their, their dependence. And dependence is just another way of saying civilians, right? So that means everybody. So now our responsibility is to go and collect everybody who is struggling. How many Drew Breeses that were, you know, great quarterbacks that went to the wrong team and then went to another team and became Super Bowl champions, right? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that are in the game, maybe the wrong part. And for me, I could see us aggregating the labor force and saying, okay, we'll create an incubator to where when people need labor, it'll be as a service. And for us, all we're simply going to do is make sure that they're healthy. Just like when you're at home and you call for the plumber, you're not asking for the resume. You're like, I hope that person's trained and they know how to fix the, it was Black Thursday after Thanksgiving or whatever they call it, Black Friday after Thanksgiving, right? Where all the plumbers, the biggest day for them is the day after Thanksgiving, right? So they yeah. need to have, oh yeah, yeah the busiest day. The busiest day in, in the United States for plumbers is Everybody's the day of plugging up toilets. All right. Right? So <laughs> lots of turkey. A lot of people in one house. But if you, th <laughs> if you think about it, like somebody's going to have Logical. to innovate people. Someone's yeah. going to have to innovate the way that we could grow, mentor, develop, and train people to be able to support your needs to grow. You can't standardize on that unless we standardize on how we help people get healthy again. Right? So my focus is on the human element of what we're doing, mm -hmm. but I'm fascinated with the things that you're doing. And we want to be lockstep with that because I think at some point we'll grow so fast that you, that model, because it's, there's only two models you rip out and replace when someone is burned out or they just move off on their own. Right? There's not a lot of development back into people because people don't slow down and look backwards for that. But if you have a, a deliberate and intentional incubator model that knows that we'll be harvesting the 10% of the bottom part of the workforces from that company and that one, then we can turn talent into a service. And it could be an easy button just like AI could be. And that's the only way to be able to bring it up because that will be the infrastructure that's used to educate, which allows you to have a higher adoption rate. That's the, that's the incubator that's going to allow you to have a greater relationship with the communities that you're going to have an impact on. And they're going to recruit the engineers that, for engineers, I've learned that Money doesn't mean shit to them. Currency is intelligence, right? The more they know, the more interesting it is they're doing, that's their currency. So if we could find the difference between those two different groups and bifurcate that workforce, then we could advance this industry. 
And that means, you know, everything that you're doing on the mechanical side, which is, that's the hardest part for what we do now is the mechanical side. Cause once you marry yourself to that, you're like, I hope I have the right stuff to support the densities that these new chips are coming in or this new client that may be coming in that I can't support right now. Cause I'm gonna have to rip out and replace everything. And if I'm an operator, it's a multi-tenant environment and that's a shared infrastructure backplane. And I could put a lot of risk. I can introduce a lot of risks to all of my clients by trying to upgrade for one. Right. So I think these conversations are going to allow us to tie it all back together. And we're going to have to continue to have these types of conversations. You guys agree? Mm -hmm. Healthy growth. Yeah. Yeah. Rising tides, man. Lift all boats. So is there anything else anybody wants to add? Uh, I mean, my mea culpa is I'm sorry that we didn't do this at DCAC live, but I'm glad that I got a second swing at this pitch, right? Because I hope that now people that are listening to this aren't so scared about the topic of AI. And they realize that no matter what, if they're in this industry, they touch it. They just don't know how. And we could lay out breadcrumbs to help them find that, right? Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add? My goodness, you 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 summarized it so well. You know, in in my final two seconds, uh, you know, don't be afraid to learn things. And Chris Crosby actually at DCAC Live talked about how you should be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, and that is a means and method to learn and increase your own wealth of knowledge beyond anything else. You know, I, I think that's critical. And I'm, I'm hoping that this conversation that we're having today, if anything, a couple of gold nuggets, but if anything, plant some seeds and questions that hopefully people will come out and reach out and ask. We're just wanting people to engage, right? Yep. How about you, Dean? Uh, pretty simple. You need to be in the community. Join iMasons. Hmm. Everybody's welcome. And that is the, doesn't matter who you work for, what you change, whatever, it's about you. That's critical. And also, Reach out, dean at imasons.org, dean at cato.digital. Super yes. approachable too, which was bizarre to me. I remember I reached out. I was like, hey man, I'm a nobody, but can I get five minutes? And you're like, let's do it. It's amazing this industry is like that. I mean, you there's a lot of, every industry has its celebrities, right? I mean, if I say Bill Gates, you know who that is. If I stay Kobe Bryant, you know who that is, right? We know celebrities from every vertical of industry. This industry has celebrities too. I'm surprised at how approachable most of them are. I called Bill. I didn't know anything about immersion cooling and like advanced cooling. On LinkedIn. I remember that. I was like, hey, can I just call? You're like, just call me. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, hey, I have these questions. I sent like a list of questions. It was like a job application. I was like, oh, I'm asking that, you know, and (laughs) Bill's a celebrity. And so I'm asking the celebrity and uh, Bill's like, here's a Zoom link. Hops on a call. Like, yeah, yeah. Just gives me the download. And I'm like, is this real? Is this not? And he's like, give me, you know, just advanced my education in seconds. You know, that would have taken me much longer in books and wouldn't have gotten the context and all those things. So uh, I'll pass it on if I'm not the person, but I might be connected to the right people, rob at opencompute.org. Ask me a question, ask me to connect you to somebody, happy to help. Awesome. Same, ditto. L. Cruz at Excelsius, which is hard to spell, A-C-C-E-L-S-I-U-S.com. Awesome. And um, I'm not giving out my email address. Just Google Bill. <laughs> sounds so you have too many. Oh, I'm not. Kind of a big deal. I do. Yeah. You could the do Ron Bill, Burgundy Bill of the data center industry. Bill yeah. Ron Burgundy. Yeah. Work. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, you could just BillClayman.com or use your favorite generative AI engine. Well, listen, this was a long one, but this is a lot to unpackage. And this should be, this long version podcast is designed to give people time to chip away at this. I mean, I'll have to listen to this podcast because you guys use a lot of words that aren't in my lexicon probably. So, But I want to say thank you for everybody for getting on a plane that came here to do this podcast. I think it's really important. I hope this podcast benefits the industry. I hope the benefit is allowing us to move the industry up. So thank you, everybody, for making the time. And thank you for joining the Data Center Revolution. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome.